We're in a, a sermon series. We're in part four of a sermon series called Paul's Letter to the Philippians. And if you've been following, we're just going through this letter little by little. I love this letter from the Apostle Paul. It is a letter to a church that he loves. He planted this church. He pastored this church. And now he's writing a letter from prison in Rome back to the church that he planted 10 years ago. And he's just letting them know, I love y'all so much. And he's bringing them, uh, he's bringing them instruction. He's thanking them for their, their support and their strength. And this is just a letter that, that I just think is right for One Family Church right now. And we are in a part four of that letter. I'm going to read a portion of the letter, and then we're going to break it out. This is going to be, um, I want you to get your theology hats on this morning. You guys ready to do that? Some, 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 are, some sermons are inspirational. Some are informational. I pray that this one is both inspirational and informational for you this morning. Um, we're going to read chapter 2, starting with verse 12, and here's what it says. Apostle Paul says, So then, my dear friends, or my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now even more in my absence, work out, somebody say work out. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13, for it is God who is working in, somebody say working in. It is God who is working in you, enabling you both to desire and to work out his good purpose. Verse 14. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. Amen, somebody? Amen, Amen you're dismissed. No. Uh, <laughs> do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world. I'm going to go back to verse 12 just for a moment. It says, work out, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Would you just turn to your neighbor, announce my sermon title to, this morning, tell him, work it out. Just work it out. Work it out. Work it out. We're going to start the sermon today with a controversy. Mm. Mm. We're going to start with a controversy. From the earliest days of Jesus, there was a controversy among the followers of Jesus about the topic of salvation. The question was, how does salvation actually work? How do we find ourselves in good communion with God? How do we find ourselves delivered from his judgment and his justice? How do we find ourselves in right relationship with God? And if you were to distill this controversy down to its core you would see that the controversy was over the topic faith versus works. Faith versus works. The question was, uh, some people held um, that you could, you could work out your own salvation on your own. You just, it was works. You just, you just obeyed God's law, and that's what you did. And if you did that right, then God loved you. And then uh, th- that, was, that was the works. The faith uh, position, the question there was, um, can we just have faith and then not do any works? Can we just, can we just, just believe and then it doesn't matter what we do? The, the, the two groups that began to form along these lines are known as the legalists and the lawless. The legalists 
and the lawless. Now, some of y'all are looking at those two groups and you're going, oh yeah, I know which group I fit in. All right. The legalists and the lawless. The legalists are the ones that basically said you've got to do right in order to be right. You've got to follow all of God's laws in order for God to love you, in order for you to find favor with God. You've got to strictly adhere to everything that God taught. That's the legalists. The lawless camp said there's no need to pursue righteousness. There's no need to follow the commands of Christ. There's no need to adhere to Christ's moral or ethical teachings. None of that ultimately matters because grace covers everything. So there's no reason to follow the teachings of Jesus. Once you assent, you have mental assent, that's all that matters. Legalism, as one author put it, is the insistence that a person is accepted by God on the basis of their law-keeping. It teaches that we are declared righteous before God by our own observance of God's law. That's the legalism standpoint. The lawless position, also known as the antinomian, I told you we're going to get like a little bit Theological, okay, antinomian is a position, anti means against, nomos means law. The antinomian or lawless position says that God does not require a believer to obey the moral law. The pursuit of righteousness in our conduct and character, they would say, is not necessary because of the leniency of God's grace. So one would say, you just, just whatever you, whatever you do doesn't matter, just believe. Others would say, whatever you believe doesn't matter, just do. And the Apostle Paul is seeing this controversy, seeing these two extremes of these, of these two positions that have formed within the church, and he writes the Philippians a letter to bring clarity around this topic. And the letter, as we just read, verse 12, let's go back to verse 12, says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So if you read that part of the letter, you go, man, he's a legalist. He's saying, I got to do it. He's saying, I've got to work it out on my own. That's what he's got to be saying. He's on the side of the legalist. But then the very next sentence in verse 13, he says, for it is God who is working in you, enabling you both to desire and to work out his good purpose. Now, that sentence sounds like God's doing all the work, and all we just do is just, just be there. And if he does good in us, then good comes out. But if he doesn't do good in us, it doesn't matter what we do. It's just, it's all him. What is the Apostle Paul saying by bringing these two seemingly contradictory statements together in one letter? Here's what he's saying. This is the theme for today's sermon. Ready? Here it is. He's saying, work out what God is working in. Work out what God is working in. Let me explain what I mean. If if, If you really want to understand what the Apostle Paul is doing here, uh, you've got to go, you've got to understand the words that he's using because you can't see it in English. So we're going we're gonna to look at the, at the Greek here because it's just so powerful and beautiful what he does with the language. When he says work out, he's using a phrase, a Greek word called kata ergon. Kata ergon. You can put that word up. Kata ergon. Ergon means work. Kata means it out. Okay, kata means bring it to conclusion, bring it to fulfillment, work it out. Work it out. That's what it means. Right? But when he says in the next verse, for God is working in you, look at the word he uses. He uses the word energon. Does that word look familiar to anybody? Where do we, what, what do you think, what word do we get from that word? Energy. Energon. What he's saying, the Apostle Paul is saying, is the Holy Spirit is energizing you. God is working within you. 
God is at work in your heart, changing you, transforming you, developing you, turning you into the image of Christ. I want you just to work out, live out, display what God is doing in you. He's saying, I want you to work out what God is working in. I mean, this is a beautiful moment for us because what we begin to understand is that when we think we're trying to do things for God, it's actually, and, and notice what he said. He said this, this, this in ergon, God working in, both to will and to do. Not only the action, but the desire to do the action. It says God is, by the power of the Holy Spirit, working inside of you to transform you. He's saying, you be the bulb, I'll be the power. He's saying, you be the clay, I'll be the potter. He's saying, you be the brush, I'll be the painter. Let, let me work inside of you because when you allow me to work inside of you, I will transform you from the inside out. Yeah. All right, we're going to break this down. Are you all with me this morning? Are you following me this morning? I can see a lot of looks right now because you're going, well, how does this all work? I'm going to break this out for you theologically from the scripture. How does this actually work? There are three aspects of salvation that the Apostle Paul is touching on in these two lines. The three aspects are position, progression, and perfection. Position, progression, and perfection. These are three aspects of our salvation, our, 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 our journey of salvation. Salvation is both an event and a process. It's both an event and a process. Position, progression, perfection. Let me show this to you. Okay, write down the word position, position, position. There is a... Um, There's a king in Uganda, the youngest king in the world. Here's a picture of him. His name is King Oyo. On September 12, 1995, at the age of three years old, one week after his father died, this child became the king, the reigning regent, the supreme ruler of his kingdom, the kingdom of Turo in Uganda, at three years old. That was his position. That was his position. He didn't do anything to earn that position. He didn't do anything to deserve that position. He was declared to be king on the basis of his birth. Track with me now. He was crowned king before he was capable of doing work as a king. He was declared to be king before he was able to fulfill the duties of a king. He was announced as king before he was able to act like a king. That was his position before his performance. Follow me. Stay with me. Stay with me, one family. When we are born into the family of God by grace through faith, we are immediately, in that moment, granted a new position, a new title, a new identity. We are born again. We are born into a new position. We are proclaimed righteous before we perform righteous acts. This is what it means to be saved by grace through faith. We are declared righteous before we do righteous deeds. We are announced as holy before we act holy. The theological term for this is justification. That means we are positionally saved the moment we put our faith in Jesus. We are transformed immediately, positionally, when God sees you in that moment, he sees you as perfect, righteous, just, and holy. Now you're asking yourself, do I act perfect, just, righteous, and holy? If you really want to know, just ask the person next to you. you. Do, do, Do I really act that way? It hasn't, it hasn't got into our, our experience or expression yet, but it is our position. It is how God sees us. That's justification. The moment you put your faith in Jesus, you are justified, meaning you are declared righteous by God in that 
moment. Let me show you what I mean. Romans 3, Paul talks about it in, in his letter to the Romans extensively. He says, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And all are, what? Justified. All are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. You didn't do anything to earn it. You didn't do anything to deserve it. You didn't do anything to merit it. It came to you freely by God through, uh, by, by, by grace through faith from Jesus, from his sacrifice. Romans 3.28. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from works of the law. In that moment, you are justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Why is this important? Y'all, why am I telling you this? Because it's important for you to know who you are in the eyes of God. If you don't know who you are, then you're not going to know what to do. God is saying, you, church, Paul is telling the Philippians, and I'm telling you, you are righteous, holy, pure, and perfect right now in the eyes of God. That's who you are. King Oyo is now 28 years old, and now he is acting like a king. He is ruling as a king. His performance followed his position. His activity followed his identity. In other words, he needed somebody to tell him, hey, king, you're the king. What I'm telling you today is you're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're the head, not the tail. You are God's beloved, anointed children of God. He sees you as righteous, holy, pure, and perfect right here, right now. We as a church, you as a follower of Jesus, me as a follower, we need to walk around with some clarity about our position. We need to understand who we are in Christ. We need to understand that, that we, are, we are blameless, we are faultless. There is no shame, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I just want somebody to know who you are this morning. I just want you to know that you are, you are you're a king, you're a prince, you're a, you're a royal priesthood in God. That's who you are right here, right now. You are justified by God in grace. What's our response to that? Our response to that is gratitude. That's my response. My response is, thank you so much. Thank you so much because I don't deserve to be called righteous, holy, pure, and just. I mean, you just made me that. You just gave me that. You just designated me that. Because I was living in sin and you said, no, 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 while I was a sinner, I loved you. While you were a sinner, while you're running from me, I'm running after you. I'm just going to give you my righteousness. I'm just going to give it to you by grace through faith. When you put your faith in me, God says, you just became righteous, son. I just cleansed your sins. I just washed you clean. You're a saint. Would you tell the person next to you, I'm a saint? Tell them you're a saint. Tell them I might not act like it all the time, but that's who I am, positionally. Positionally. But then we move from position to progression. I told you there were three aspects of salvation. We move from, from position to progression. The first aspect of salvation is position known as justification. We just talked about that. The second aspect of salvation is progression. The theological term for that is sanctification. Sanctification. Sanctification means that you are growing. Your your activity is starting to catch up with your identity. That's what that means. It means I'm starting to act like who I really am. Because I really am, in the eyes of God, I'm righteous, holy, pure, and just. 
I'm without fault. I'm without sin. I'm, I'm blameless. I'm pure. And now sanctification says I'm starting to act a little bit more like that every single day. I'm getting closer. I'm drawing closer into who I actually am. Uh, I'm going to try to illustrate this. My youngest son, Augustine, I may have mentioned this before, is currently obsessed with soccer. Completely obsessed with soccer. He just thinks soccer, breathes soccer, dreams soccer. It's just soccer all the time. And he's got, he's got an icon, a hero that he loves. And that guy's name is Lionel Messi. Does anybody know Messi? Is soccer people? Messi is up there with like the world's great. He's like Maradona, Maradona and Pele and, 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 and Messi. They're all up there on that, on that level. Augustine, my, my nine-year-old son, has this, he has a Messi jersey. He just, he thinks about Messi, talks about him. Messi does this, he does around the world, and he, boom, and all this stuff. So, so he's, he's, got, he's got somebody to, towards whom he's aspiring, um, and, and he wants to be like Messi. Here, here's, the, here's, the, here's the reality if you're going to be a, a major athlete. If you're going to be a world-class athlete, there's three, at least three aspects to it. What I call goal, gift, and grind. Goal, gift, and grind. What that means is you need to know, if you want to be a world-class athlete, you need to know who you're trying to be like. You, 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 you really do. If you're, if you're trying to be like Messi and you're training like Tyson, you're, you're not sure which way you're going, right? You need to know the goal. You need, to, you need to have a goal. Then you actually have to have some degree of giftedness. You have to have some level of competence and ability, naturally and inborn. There's got to be some degree of balance or speed or strength. You, you've got to have some giftedness. Come on, get with me, somebody. I mean, like, I'm never, I'm never going to dunk on LeBron James. It's just, there's just, no matter how much I work at it, that's just, it's just not there. So you've got to have some degree of giftedness, all right? And then the third aspect is the grind, which means you got to do the work. you got to do the disciplines. you got to do the training. you got to do the drilling. you got to go after it. So, so my son Augustine, he has the goal. He wants to be like Messi, right? He has a degree of giftedness, right? So he's got good balance. He's got good speed. He's got good hand coordination, good flexibility, good mobility. He's, he's got a lot of giftedness for, for a you know, nine-year-old kid. And then he's got this grind, like he's playing all the time. He's got a soccer ball with him all the time. He takes a soccer ball everywhere he goes. And if we don't let him take a soccer ball, he pretends he has a soccer ball. I'm not even joking. He, he's like rolling the soccer ball. Man, he'll score on you. You didn't even know you were playing. There's not even a ball in the house. What are you doing? I just nutmegged you, Dad, right? So, so he's, he's got the goal. He's got some giftedness, and he's got some grind. Well, he had his first game about a month or two ago, he scored four goals, led the team to victory. And man, I'm telling you, he was feeling it, right? He was feeling it because he had a goal, he's got some giftedness, and he's got some grind. So what does that mean for our spiritual life? What that means is our goal, the goal of salvation actually, is to become like Christ. People don't know this. People think that salvation is a get out of hell free card or get to heaven free card. That is not the goal of salvation. That's not the goal of salvation. The goal of salvation is that you and I would be transformed into the image of Christ. Romans says transformed into the image of his son. Meaning that in our conduct and character, we are becoming like Christ. That's the whole goal of salvation. This is brand new for some, some folks. This is the whole goal. Because otherwise, you get, you get saved, you get justified, and you're done. You become a lawless person because you go, well, I got justified. Now, let me get back to the party, y'all. Check you later, right? No. 
your, your goal in salvation is to become like Christ. That's what God saves you for. He saves you to transform you into the image of his son. So, so, so there's, there's that moment where we have the goal, Jesus, right? Then we have the giftedness. This is justification by grace through faith where he goes, I'm just going to gift you with this. Free gift of God. I'm just giving it to you. And then you have the grind, which is that willingness to discipline your life and grow in the Lord and become more and more like Jesus through prayer and through scripture and through uh, community and through service and through giving and through all of these disciplines of the faith. You start to grow into the image of Jesus. The beautiful thing is in the spiritual life, he's energizing you to do it while you're doing it. Not only is he energizing you to do it while you do it, he's energizing you to want to do it while you do it and to do it. He's putting that in you. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. God is working in you both to will and to do his good purpose. Let me show you what I mean. 2 Corinthians 7. This is all the Apostle Paul explaining all of this. It says, therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, since this is in us, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. In other words, he's saying, I want you to do something. I want you to participate with God in, in purifying ourselves because now we're, our, our activity is trying to catch up with our identity. We're progressing towards God. Hebrews 12 says this, let us lay aside every weight. Who's laying aside the weight? We are. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Do you understand what's happening here? He's saying you run, but Jesus started the run. Jesus is going to finish the run. Jesus is running inside of you right now. But I need you to keep running, but God is working in you. He is the author and finisher of your faith. The, the, the last one you all know, and we're going to get into this in a couple weeks, Philippians 4.13. I, what? Who can? You. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Do you understand what's happening, y'all? Work out your own salvation, for God is working in you. Work it out what God is working in. Work out what God is working in. First aspect of salvation is, is positional. That's justification. Second aspect of salvation is progressive. That's sanctification. Here's the third aspect. I'm going to take you back to Philippians. Are you ready? Philippians 2.15. So that you may be blameless and pure... Children of God who are faultless. Well, that's three big words right there. Blameless, pure, and faultless. Third aspect of salvation is called perfection. Perfection. There's position. There's progression. There's per perfection. Blameless means there's no guilt. Pure means there's no contamination. Faultless means there's no spot or stain. You are pure, blameless, and faultless. The ultimate picture of the body of Christ is that God glorifies us. The, the, the scripture, the, the theological term is glorification. So there's justification, sanctification. Glorification is when, is when God removes every, even the sin nature from us in eternity. And we have eternity in open, free love of God without any contamination, without any spot or wrinkle. The scriptures, there's no contamination in us. There's no fault. There's no blame. It's been taken away completely. So how do I illustrate this? I want to show you something that I'm, I'm, I'm pretty proud of. 
I don't know if you can see this. This is a, this is a golf trophy. Can you guys see this golf trophy? This is a golf trophy. This is a first place golf trophy, okay? First place. This is my first place golf trophy. First place golf trophy. I won this first place golf trophy. I won it. Now, some of you who know me are going, how did that happen? Because the truth is, I, I can't play golf. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm not that good at golf. I'm saying that at this golf trophy, at this golf tournament, this golf tournament, there was 18 holes. I lost 40 balls at this golf tournament. I went to play it against sports, and I bought 40 balls because I knew I'm going to lose them because that's, that's my golf game. That's my golf game. That's how it works. I, I have three shots. One shot is if I make contact with the ball, my, first, my best shot is that it goes about 25 yards straight ahead on the ground. It just skims the top of the grass. Worm burner. About 25 yards. That's my best shot. My, my second best shot is that I get loft, but it banks hard left and goes into the woods. That's my second best shot. My third best shot, and this happened a few times at the tournament, I swung, I looked to see where the ball went. I didn't see it. And then I looked back down and it was still on the tee. So please don't think I'm being falsely modest when I say I'm literally the worst golfer you've ever seen. Now, you're saying, how do you have a first place golf trophy that you won, didn't buy it, I won this at a recent golf tournament? How do I have that? This represents perfection, right? Why? Because you can't get better than first place. That was the best place in the whole golf tournament. How did I win first place in a golf tournament when you know where my golf skills actually are? Here's how. Because we were on a golf team. Everybody's on a team. They put you on a team of four. Team of four people, okay? (laughs) And on my team there was a professional golf player. Like, not like a good golfer. I'm talking about a, prof- a person that people pay to play golf. He was a pro golfer. So here's how this works. We played, a, we played a game called a scramble or best ball. Some of y'all might know what that is. What that is is I hit the ball. If I hit the ball, let me just say, if I hit the ball, it goes 20 feet on the ground or it banks into the woods, right? Okay, that's my hit. Then the pro golfer comes up. He hits the ball, it goes flying straight in the air, it goes landing on the green, and it goes right near the hole. Best ball means we don't count my ball, we just count his ball. Now the whole team walks over to the green, and now we get to play from the best ball, okay? So now I putt, it misses, he putts, it goes in, his putt counts as my putt. Is anybody with me this morning? I don't have to prevail. I just have to participate. His ability was counted as my ability. His strength was counted as my strength. His activity was counted as my activity. And watch this. His final score was counted as my final score, which is why I won a first place trophy in a golf tournament. Now... (laughs) Why did, his, why did his score count as my score? Because I was on his team. When you get on team Jesus, his righteousness is counted as your righteousness. His holiness is counted as your holiness. His goodness is counted as your goodness. His perfection is counted as your 
perfection. Here's what the scripture says, 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might be called the righteousness of God. You understand how that works, y'all? You are made perfect not by your behavior. You are made perfect because you were on the team of the perfect one. You have been working with him. You were justified by him. But ultimately, he perfects you in him. You are positionally perfect now. You are becoming perfect in progression. And you will be perfect in him because he will give his perfection to you. This is justification, sanctification, and glorification. This is position. This is progression. This is perfection. Now, last part of this. This is the last verse. I'm going to close with this. What happens to an individual, what happens to a church when they actually embrace the truth of what the Apostle Paul is teaching? What happens when we actually begin to understand who we are positionally, begin to walk in who we're supposed to be, and then we actually have a goal and we know where we're going to land? What does it look like for a church to, to, to walk this out? He tells us in verse 15. Here's what he says. He says, you shine like stars in the world. This is what it looks like. You shine like stars in the world. One of the best things about being at church on a Sunday morning, this is what I love about Sunday mornings. There's a lot of things I love about Sunday mornings. But on Sunday morning, it's easy to be a Christian. It's easy to be a Christian on Sunday morning because we're just surrounded by so much light. There's just so much light around us, right? We're setting aside time to read the scripture. We're being led in worship and entering into the presence of God. We're listening to the word of God. We're reading. We're spending time in prayer. In other words, there's a lot of light around us. You, you know what? Let me just show you what it looks like. This is what it looks like. Would you hand me my phone back? Well, let me show you what it looks like to be a Christian on Sunday morning. What it looks like to be a Christian on Sunday morning is it looks like, it looks like this. It looks like being a light in a well-lighted place. That's what it looks like. I mean, this little light is adding to the light, but we're already pretty well lit up here, right? This is what it looks like to be a light in church on Sunday morning. But notice what the Apostle Paul says. He says, you will shine like stars. Where do stars shine? They shine in the dark. So he's saying, you're not just going to shine when you're together. You're going to shine when you're out there in the world. You're going to bring light to all those around you. Let me get, let me get, um, could I just have the two of you guys come up? Maybe the, maybe the three of you right there, right here, Rue, Jackson, Grace. Could you all come up here? And if you have phones, do you have phones? You do have phones. What am I thinking? Of course you have phones. Come, come up here for just a minute and come stand behind me. And keep your, and, and put your light on, and just shine your light out there. Okay. Okay, so, so this is what it looks like to be a Christian at church. It means to add light to an already well-lit place. What's it look like to be like stars in the world? Dim those lights for me, will you, back there just for a minute? This is what it begins to look like to be a follower of Jesus. This is what it begins to look like when we are following Jesus, when we understand who we are positionally, 
when we begin to progress in following Jesus and when we have the author and finisher of our faith as the perfecter of our faith who's out there shining for us. Peter says he called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. John says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus says you are the light of the world. You're a city on a hill that can't be hid. You don't, hide, you don't light your light and then hide under a bushel. No, you, you, you put it on a stand where it gives light to the whole room. He said, let others see your good works. Let your light shine. Let them see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. This is what Jesus is calling us to be. This is what Jesus is calling us to do. This is what it looks like to know who we are, to progress into who we actually are, and to be perfected into the image of Jesus. You can bring the lights up. Can I just, can you just thank our amazing volunteers? Thank you very much, you guys. Here's what I'm praying for us as a church. My prayer is that we would embrace this radical truth of the Apostle Paul. That we would work out what God is working in. That we would accept the reality of our position in Christ fully justified. It's an event. It happened. You are righteous in God right now. Can you imagine what it would look like for a group of people to walk around with our head up, with confidence and boldness, moving through the world, knowing that we are justified by God, that there's no sin, there's no condemnation, there's no shame that can bind us down, that we are, as the worship team saying this morning, we are free. We are walking in absolute freedom. Can you imagine if we understood our position as that, as a, as a community? But not only that, but that we began to progress into the actual identity uh, of, of who we are. Our activity starts to catch up with our identity. We start to be loving and faithful and kind and generous. And we love our enemies. And we, and we refuse to, to return uh, uh, evil for, for evil. We return good for evil. We just become the kind of people that are growing into the image of Christ. We're becoming, we are holy positionally, but we're progressively becoming holy. We're becoming pure. We're laying aside every weight. We're setting aside the sin that so easily ensnares us. And then ultimately, we are looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We're saying, I'm running with endurance, but I'm running towards you, and I'm running by your power. I'm running by the energy of your spirit working in me, not only to do, but also to will. Can I tell you, church, if we embrace this reality of who we are, who we're becoming, and who God will perfect us to be. We will shine like stars in the world. We will shine like stars in the world. Let us work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God working in us both to will and to do his good purpose. Let's pray. God, you're so good. Your truth, your word is so rich so transformative, so powerful. Thank you for loving us so much to save us by your grace through faith without any work on our behalf. You just did it. Thank you for that. Give us the strength to live into our true identity, that our activity would catch up with our identity, that we would live into, we would progress into the perfection to which you have called us. And God, we trust that when you come back, you will perfect us into the image of your son. We walk in that confidence. We walk in that hope. We walk in that faith. 
I pray that each and every person here today, Lord, would leave here inspired, emboldened, and empowered to walk after you. We love you, we thank you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen.